You are listening to Uncommentary, the home of conversations and clarity. I'm your host, Marty Duran. In season one, I told you about my wife's cookie business, Sweet Life Cookies, and I have decided to keep her as a sponsor for season two. You need to buy some cookies from Sweet Life Cookies. Uh, original chocolate chip, double chocolate mint, white chocolate macadamia nut. Uh, she's even added an M&M variety, which is very popular with kids, as you know. Um, half dozens or dozens can be shipped anywhere in the, in the United States. Uh, if you're in the Middle Tennessee area, specifically if you're in the Nashville area, you can get the cookie trays, three dozen size, six dozen size. Uh, that will meet all your office and party needs. Go to MySweetLifeCookies.com to place an order, or if you're interested in a tray, there's contact information there where you can give her the information about your get-together. Delivery is available in a limited range as well. So go to MySweetLifeCookies.com, check everything out. They are the best cookies in the world, and I ain't lying. My guest today on Uncommentary is Michael Ware. Michael is a leading expert and strategist at the intersection of faith, politics, and American public life. He directed faith outreach for President Obama's 2012 re-election campaign. Michael served in the White House Faith-Based Initiative during President Obama's first term and was, at that time, one of the youngest White House staffers in modern American history. Michael is the founder of Public Square Strategies, LLC, a sought-after firm that helps religious organizations, political organizations, businesses, and others effectively navigate the rapidly changing American religious and political landscape. He's the author of Reclaiming Hope, Lessons Learned in the Obama White House about the future of faith in America. Michael also writes for The Atlantic, Christianity Today, USA Today, Relevant Magazine, and other publications on faith, politics, and culture. Michael Ware, welcome to Uncommentary. It's great to be with you. Happy to be on. Well, thanks for being here, man. You uh, you have quite the pedigree. You you may have more pedigreeism than any guest that I have had so far. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know about that. I, <laughs> yeah, quite a list of folks, but uh. <laughs> but you you you've actually served in the White House, though. I mean, that's that's a big thing. You're like a, a real West Winger. <laughs> that 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 can be said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had that experience. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, it definitely was quite an experience, not exactly like, uh, West wing, the TV show, but, uh, you know, based on the same place. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So for folks that don't know you, and I know a lot of people will, but for those who don't know you, uh, tell a little bit about who Michael Ware is. Yeah, sure. So, uh, uh, so I am, uh, uh someone who works at the intersection of, uh, faith and the church and the public. Uh, and so, you know, a uh, principal question that's guided uh, my, my life, my professional life, my, my personal life is, you know, what does it mean uh, to be faithful in public? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the question that led me uh, from Buffalo after I became a Christian at 15, um, after reading Romans, uh, to come to D.C. for college. Uh, that's a question that uh, led me into uh, politics, and and uh, and it's the question that's led me into the work I'm doing now uh, as a consultant, as chief strategist of an organization called the AND Campaign. That's a, a, a new, fresh Christian political education and advocacy organization, uh, and uh, it's really the question that consumes a lot of my a lot of my thought. Yeah. Um, so when I was a, a younger person raised uh in the uh, southern part of the Atlanta area 
um, I went to a, a, a conservative church and more or less, uh, you know, if you were, if you were a believer in Jesus and you were a follower of Christ, you were a Republican. Those two things very, very uh, closely aligned with one another. And anyone who wasn't kind of out of that conservative mold politically was, was really, really suspect, but dang it, uh, you're like a Democrat or something, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, uh, so I'll, I'll actually have a chapter uh, in an upcoming book that Karen, our friend Karen Swallow Pryor is yes. editing uh, on this exact topic. So how should Christians think about uh, think about political parties? Uh, and uh, I tell a little bit about my my story, but it's also you know, I think a general framework for people who are Democrats or Republicans or independents. So I'm looking forward to to, to that coming out. But but yeah, so I, I grew up in, in Buffalo uh, in a, you know, so Buffalo is a, you know, Rust Belt kind of blue collar mm-hmm. area. I come from a blue collar family where it was kind of just just the opposite, you know, <laughs> where uh, everyone uh, seemed to uh, uh, everyone at church, everyone, uh, seemed to be Democrats because yeah. it was a very heavily labor background and very heavily, if you weren't Catholic anymore, uh, someone <laughs> in your family was Catholic. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, you know, so, so a commitment to civil rights, commitment to social safety net, those issues were important, uh, to me, uh, uh even as a, as a young person, they continue to be important to me now, mm-hmm. although uh, motivated, uh, yes, by my experience and sort of uh, where I grew up, but also uh, because of my uh, because of my faith. But but as I'm sure you know, we'll get into in this episode. Uh, you know, I think for both the, for Christians who find themselves or who join any political party, uh, they they have to and must do so with the understanding that. Uh, they are not a part of that political party for the party to change them, but for them to influence the party. That that actually that that's the purpose of political parties in this country to actually uh, serve as mediators of of uh, Americans of different views, uh, not to sort of uh, uh, what we have today is political parties creating uh, uh, sort of serving to indoctrinate members so mm-hmm. that uh, you know if if the Republican president is supporting comprehensive immigration reform like george w bush do you see republican support of comprehensive immigration reform through the roof uh or maybe that's an exaggeration but a majority of republicans support immigration reform and when you have a republican president who doesn't support immigration reform republican support goes way down and uh instead you need to uh you need to know what your values are and and hold true to those uh no matter where the the political wind blows so um as a, uh, I, I consider myself an independent now, at least on the, the political, you know, the party <laughs> spectrum, uh, yeah. as a lot of people do. Um, but I'm still pretty conservative on the abortion question. And so um, what I still see is um, this, this particular issue has an, a tremendous amount of impact on the way uh, believers, some believers view the Democratic Party. Sure. Um, and even even people who I know that are you know strong on civil rights and strong on the Constitution and would typically uh, lean more to the Democrat because of those kinds of things. When I say Constitution, I mean the, the personal rights enumerated in the Constitution. Yeah, sure. Um, th- they really get bound up on the the current. Let me say it this way: the current uh, abortion position 
of the party. So yeah. um, that's that's the you know that's where I want to launch from uh, for this conversation. Um, it does seem over the last I don't know you you probably have a better sense of this uh, from when Bill Clinton was president and the kind of the terminology was uh, <laughs> safe legal and rare. Uh, through uh, President Obama's uh, unwavering uh, stance, you know, for a woman's right to abortion, through uh, now it's it's really seems to be to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to be to me that this really, really now um, just far outside the boundary push to where you have the the New York law and comments made in Virginia and. Um, this almost abortion for any reason at any time for any circumstance and it just can't be restricted at all or you're in some way restricting a woman's personal autonomy and the farther the democratic party seems to be going in this direction the the less able people like myself feel that they could you know vote for any democrat that that doesn't loudly sure. protest this thing from your view as an, as kind of an insider, uh, but at least someone who's, you know, self-identifies as a Democrat rather than somebody impugning you as a Democrat. Um, how do you approach that? What do you see happening? What are your concerns? You've written about this in the Atlantic recently. I think you've written about it. So, so what are some of your concerns with, with what's going on here? Yeah. So I've, I've written about this quite a bit. I have several chapters that touch on the issue in my book, reclaiming hope. Mm-hmm. And that, that book is, uh, you know, for folks who really want to uh, understand where Democrats uh, are coming from on this issue, that want to understand the the, uh, the history of at least the Obama administration's engagement on this issue, which you know helps explain a lot about how we got to this moment. Uh, you, you know, I, I wrote the book in the hopes that uh, it would help Democrats understand Christians, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and particularly conservative Christians. Obviously, Democratic Party is, is two thirds of Democrats are, are Christian themselves. But uh, try, try to help Democrats understand Christian crit- criticisms of of the Obama administration, and and uh, and help Christians understand where uh, where Democrats are coming from, and and that's especially you know I think needed and helpful here. Uh, a, a, a few things so. Uh, so you are, uh, there has been, uh, a pretty drastic shift in at the very least the rhetoric. And in some cases, the policy mm-hmm. of the democratic party when it comes to this issue of abortion. So for instance, you know, uh, uh, folks might not remember this, but, uh, Ted Kennedy was actually pro-life for, for quite some time and, and a, a major, um, a, a major, um, uh, a major issue in the, uh, actually uh, John Ward has a book out about, uh, Ted Kennedy primarying Jimmy Carter, uh, Jimmy Carter in 1980 yeah, and a major book, yeah. under, yeah, major undercurrent of that race, um, was, uh, that this question of whether Ted Kennedy was uh, committed enough to the pro-choice cause. Uh, I'd say Ted Kennedy is probably the closest the party has come to over the last you know, 40 years of having uh, a, a pro-life or pro-life uh, you know, adjacent Democratic nominee. Mm. Uh, we saw in uh, uh, 
2000. So you're right. So Clinton introduced safe, legal, rare language, which was really the consensus Democratic rhetoric, even though it was lived out policy wise differently by by different Democrats. But that was the that was the overarching message of Democrats in the in the 90s, uh, obviously following losses for uh, uh, to Reagan and George H.W. Bush uh, right. that. You know, losing really helps demo, uh, really helps po- politicians change their tune on yeah, issues. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, and so that that was a message in 2000. The political, uh, the Democratic Party platform actually had language uh, welcoming pro life uh, pro lifers into all levels of party leadership. And what uh, year was that? 2000. 2000. Pretty historic. Pretty historic thing in 2000. Uh, for um, uh, there, there was uh, that language was taken out, but different language was put in put uh, put in that sort of was, um, you, you know, uh, a little more nuanced than what we have now. In 2008, the Democratic Party platform explicitly called for reducing abortions, and this followed out of uh, uh, President Obama's mm-hmm. uh, uh, desire to reduce abortions. Uh, I'm going to get back to President Obama, but in 2016, for the first time, to just show the trajectory of this, in 2016, for the first time, the Democratic Party platform called for a repeal of the Hyde Amendment. Now, for those who don't know, the Hyde Amendment is the, uh, it's not legislation, it's a rider that's attached to uh, appropriations bills, so spending bills, that basically says that, uh, uh, that federal funds can't be used. Uh, to fund abortion right, directly. Right. Uh, this has been bipartisan policy for decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 and in 2016, for the first time, the Democratic Party platform uh, didn't just say, you know, we don't support the, uh, it, it didn't just leave the question open. They explicitly called for repeal of this amendment, uh, which, by the way, just as recently as the passage of the Affordable Care Act, you had Democrats suggesting that the that they would never they would never uh, uh, question the Hyde Amendment. That of course this was policy. How dare you even suggest that we right. think about <laughs> funding funding abortions with federal taxpayers' uh, money? Uh, and so that's that's where we are. We've seen a pretty drastic shift. And I, I would just nuance your your history a, a, a bit. Sure, this feel, is feel free. That, yeah, this, this is really something that we've seen. Uh, this new iteration of pro-choice rhetoric is really something that we've only seen uh, since the 2012 election. Uh, and it really picked up in the run-up to 2016. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because, uh, I, remember, so uh, when Barack Obama was running for office mm-hmm. uh, the first time in 2008, uh, he was expressing openness to restrictions on abortion. He specifically said that he'd support a late, uh, uh, late-term abortion ban, uh, so long as it included an exception for the health of the mother, and this is, uh, and this is for the life of the mother. And this is really important. He included the the important clarification that by an exception for the life of the mother, he actually meant the life of the mother, yeah, not just. Yeah. And, you know, a broad health ex- uh, exception that could be, you know, as conservatives are concerned about uh, sort of sort of a loophole that could be used for anything. Uh, in, in his first five months in office, uh, 
president, then President Obama, uh, went to uh, University of Notre Dame. And instead of giving a speech on, uh, uh, you know, shared Catholic commitments on uh, environment or poverty, like most Democratic politicians would do, you know, if you're going to go to a, uh, an institution, you give a speech about an issue where you're in complete agreement with them, right. <laughs> uh, or near, near complete agreement. Uh, instead, he gave a speech on uh, the fact that there was a fundamental disagreement on whether abortion should be legal or not, but uh, he advocated a pretty pretty significant plan that I was a, a, a part of, you know, helping to work on um, to drastically reduce abortions in this country. And he actually uh, uh, rebuffed those who would reject re- reducing abortion. Um, it, it really has been, um, uh, uh, and I, I just add a note for those who want to know more about how, how, how that uh, speech came about and uh, the, the multi-year process that followed that, that speech. I have a chapter on it in my book, but it's also that chapter was basically pr- published as an excerpt in Politico. I think the, the headline is something uh, like Obama's forgotten plan to reduce abortions. Um, what we've really seen in the run-up again to 2016 is is this uh, this idea uh, on the left that is now sort of conventional wisdom among Democrats that you don't gain anything politically speaking from seeking common ground on abortion because uh, no matter what, again politically speaking, no no matter what, if you fall short of calling for uh, Overturning, overturning Roe, Roe yeah. uh, then voters who vote on the life issue uh, will not vote for you. Uh, and so there, there is, a, 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 and a, again, these are politicians, so it, like to speak politically is, is just dealing with reality. Uh, th- these are folks who uh, have to think about how they're getting elected. They have to think about um, what makes it possible for them to do to, to get elected so they could act not only on this issue, but on other issues. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, that is the, that is the dominant frame when back in 2006, the, the dominant sort of democratic idea was that we can, if, if we uh, propose, you know, quote unquote, reasonable restrictions, if we speak of abortion, not as a social good, but as a, a, um, as just something that has to be legal within uh, the law, because at the end of the day, it should be a woman's decision. And again, you know, I'm putting air quotes around sure, all sure. of this. Um, uh, then, uh, then we we can win a significant portion of of pro life Democrats. I'd say that I think that strategy was proven out at least in that era by the fact that we had dozens of pro life Democrats in Congress. Yeah. Uh, those Democrats are almost completely gone now. There are now only uh, a few pro-life Democrats in the House and the Senate. Uh, and so, so Marty, what what, what you have here is um, uh, a a emboldened, uh, unapologetic uh, advocacy uh, 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 sector, pro-choice advocacy sector that that is uh, holding elected Democrats. Uh, feet to the fire to say, uh, why are we apologizing for this for this view um, when there are no, you know, uh, uh, when when the Republicans are going to say 
the same things that they say about us, no matter what stance or rhetoric or position we take. So here are three ways that you can support Uncommentary. If you'd like to give a one-time gift of support, go to paypal.me slash uncommentarypod. That's paypal.me slash uncommentarypod. And you can do that there one time for as little as a buck. So uh, take the opportunity to do that. If you'd like to become a patron and be on a monthly donation, you can go to patreon.com slash uncommentary. And for as little as $2 a month, you can be a regular patron for Uncommentary. There's some gift levels there with some stickers and mugs and feel free to choose the one that best suits your budget. The third way is by using my Amazon shop. So that's amazon.com slash shop slash Marty Duran. Amazon.com slash shop slash Marty Duran. Most of the books from the authors that I have interviewed are there as well as some that I just recommend for your reading pleasure. Uh, you get the same low Amazon price and it generates a commission to me which helps support Uncommentary. So I hope you'll take advantage of one of these three because I couldn't do it without you. Now back to this episode of Uncommentary. Uh, in the run of 2016, uh, of course Obama wasn't running anymore, but he was supporting uh, Hillary Clinton who was the, the nominee yeah. And um, from the perspective of anyone on the right-hand side, and I realize that there's an undercurrent of you know Fox News attacks on Hillary Clinton that almost go back to when she was in diapers. It's like they anticipated she was going to be something, started attacking her you know, before she was born almost. Uh, and so that's been relentless for you know two decades almost before she even ran for president, maybe even actually two decades. Yeah. So so she runs, uh, and she she holds a very liberal uh, you know opinion or position on abortion, and she's supported by and supportive of Planned Parenthood, which is you know the largest single abortion service provider in in the country. How how difficult will it be? for the Democratic Party to moderate uh, even a little, even if they assume for just a second that that everybody at the leadership of the Democratic Party decided that moderating was the right thing to do and was politically advantageous, even though you've just said that that's not the case. Let's, let's have an imaginary moment where we say <laughs> that it is the case, that they all decide that moderating is to the advantage of the party. Sure. Planned Parenthood, I, I cannot imagine that Planned Parenthood would support that in any way, shape, or form. And it seems like there would be the possibility of there being some kind of rift within the party in a major way if there was an attempt to moderate because of, at least from my perception, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the entanglement uh, of Planned Parenthood within the Democratic Party. It, am I wrong on that? Do you think that there could be <laughs> moderation with Planned Parenthood as the you know kind of the anchor of what abortion means to the party? Well, so so uh, a couple things. So just to go back to sort of my my previous set, it, watching how Hillary Clinton has navigated this issue is actually a really good way of understanding the reason why Democrats in general, Democratic leaders, strategists. Uh, in general, feel the way they do about this issue. Uh, so if you, uh, in, I believe it was 2004, um, well, so right, so so very clearly, Hillary is a inheritor of the safe, legal, rare legacy. Yes. And that, what did that bring to her? She was, she was called, even when she was running for the Senate, you know, the most extreme pro-abortion, et cetera, et cetera, candidate. You're, right. I mean, you're, you're right. She's had this tag 
no matter what stage of her career she's been in, no matter what she's been saying and doing on the issue, Hillary has been tagged as the worst ever on this issue. Uh, and so she's inheritor of state, safe, legal, rare. That That is, uh, she used that language when she was in the Senate. In 2004, I believe it was 2004, she went to basically a pro-choice uh, uh, con- convening conference of uh, nurses and folks in the medical profession. Uh, uh, it wasn't a pro-choice convention, but basically this was a this was a group of, of nurses that were generally going to be pro-choice gotcha. and medical professionals. And and she she gave a speech that was really a precursor to Obama's call for reducing abortion. She said, "Look, we can um, you know we can still support Roe v. Wade while not um, well being concerned about the abortion rate in this country." Even being concerned about um, uh, some some of the some of the legal issues around abortion, uh, and she she got absolutely no no credit. For, she got hammered on the left for it, and she got absolutely zero credit on the right for this. Um, similarly, Hillary used to support uh, 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 things like late term abortion bans and Hyde, etc. Mm-hmm. And so so that that's actually a really good way of of thinking about. In considering why Democrats are the, the way they are, and, and that gave leverage to Planned Parenthood to say, "Look, we will come in with unprecedented levels of for 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 Planned Parenthood, unprecedented levels of support and funding for your campaigns if if you are unapologetically pro-choice." Yeah, and so we've seen over the last two presidential elections, a uh, Planned Parenthood invest. Uh, their, their action funds, so not the yeah. not the nonprofit, but their political action group, uh, uh, provide unprecedented levels of funding and support for these uh, for both presidential candidates and for um, and for congressional candidates. Uh, you, you know, one thing I try to remind folks uh, of is the fact that uh, Planned Parenthood's top goal is not electing Democrats. Uh, Planned Parenthood's top goal is to advance their ideas and protect their interests. Uh, and um, I think you can point to, uh, not to get too in the weeds here, but I, I've argued in print that you could point to races like the 2016 Senate race in Pennsylvania, where uh, where the Democrat should have won, uh, but because the Democrat was campaigning with uh, pro-choice activists just weeks before election day, um, I, they didn't get the the, uh, the support that they should have received, in my view. Um, in other words, uh, uh, Democrats, the Democratic Party needs to be able to distinguish between advocacy groups that are supportive of us and the fact that those advocacy groups, uh, uh, to those advocacy groups, the Democratic Party's success is only secondary. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, in the past, obviously, Planned Parenthood wasn't thrilled with the fact that um, that that Democrats supported the Hyde Amendment or at least weren't willing to to vote against it. Uh, but what, what what are they going to do? Fund Republicans? Yeah. When, uh, when you, you said know, the, the, same, the Pennsylvania the same guy issue with NRA, you know. Yeah. When, uh, when you said he, the Pennsylvania he, guy just now, did you mean to say he had been talking to some pro-life groups? You said pro-choice. Did no. you? No, no. So, so um, there was a um, uh, so Katie McGinty was the Democrats' candidate in 2016, okay. and of course, you know, so Bob Casey, who's uh, who's taken pro-life votes uh, 
um, uh, 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 in the past, uh, most, you know, consider him to be a pro-life, uh, pro-life, uh, member. He won reelection in 2018 by basically a landslide. So okay. same state. He's from Pennsylvania. Katie McGinty in 2016 ran a race where she was not pro-life or anything approaching it. Not only that, but she was running, uh, uh, delivering again, just weeks before election day, a message about just how pro-choice she'd be, and she she lost. Oh, gotcha. um, okay. She lost to the Republican. Um, but this was, I mean, so so the point is, you know, uh, pro-choice activists were bragging the whole time running up to the race. You know, we have a, a, a unapologetically uh, pro-choice uh, candidate in Katie McGinty who's going to, you know, take back the Senate for uh, for uh, for Democrats and for the pro-choice cause. But she lost okay, and she gotcha. lost because Pennsylvania isn't a state where you close on that message. But that is sort of where the incentive structure in the Democratic Party is right now. OK, I got you. All right. That makes sense. So um, so there's approximately two thousand four hundred and seventeen people have announced uh, for the Democratic yeah. presidential yeah. opportunity. Yeah. Um, and, uh, of course the big thing that's been in the news is the new green deal, which, uh, we don't really have time to talk about very much. Um, yeah. but, uh, I haven't seen, uh, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I haven't seen any candidate so far that has, um, approached a pro-choice uh, stance. I think some of them are probably pulling back, um, and not like really emphasizing one way or the other. Uh, John Hickenlooper, the governor of Colorado, or maybe former governor of Colorado, um, you know, had been whispered for a while that he and John Kasich might get together and run on some kind of an independent ticket. Yeah. And uh, Hickenlooper was quoted as saying uh, that he would not do it because Kasich wouldn't budge on the abortion issue. And of course, Kasich is as conservative on the abortion issue almost as some of the uh, uh, Democratic candidates are liberal on the, on the issue. Right. Yeah. Uh, so when I read that, I thought, well, if Hickenlooper is not going to budge on the issue, you know, I, I can't see, uh, you know, Cory Booker and Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and, you know, Joe, but maybe Biden would be as likely as anyone, I guess. But uh, I mean, is there a Democratic candidate that, would go would start talking safe, legal, and rare again, or are they all going to either downplay it as much as they can in favor of something else like a new green deal or health care or border security, uh, or will they just continue with that really, really uh, far? Um, I, I'm avoiding use the. I, I believe it's an extreme position. I'm avoiding using the word extreme sure, sure, for sure. this conversation. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but that really liberal. Let's just say it that way. That really, really liberal. Um, well, you don't have to. You don't have to avoid on, on, on my account. I've, I've I've written about this, you know, pretty clearly. Uh, <laughs> I just in 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 talking about. I mean. So much of this stuff is so so hot. I just I just try to yeah. keep you know I, I try to keep the conversation where everybody can participate, and I, I don't yeah, want to just well, I think that's you know, use extremist language all the time. Um, but is there a candidate that you can see that would be willing to take a step back and say we need to rethink this at least some, and I'm willing to lead the charge at, even into you know writing the platform, or is it going to be 2020 and there's no deviation from what we're currently seeing within the Democratic Party? Yeah, I mean, so honestly, you know, we'll have to see. I mean, there, there, there are reasons. I mean, part of the reason why I think it's possible is just because, um, you know, th this new, this new move is so new. You, you know, up until 2016, the Hyde Amendment wasn't a part of the platform. Mm -hmm. So, 
you know, there are some, uh, you know, statewide and national figures, you know, uh, uh, who, who would take this approach. None of them are running for president right now. Or, or who would take a, uh, something approaching a pro-life uh, approach? I'm thinking principally of John Bell Edwards. He's the governor of Louisiana, pro-life Democratic governor. Um, uh, you know, th- there's been a, a little bit of talk about him running. You know, I do think when I think of, um, so if, pro- if sort of pro-life is the standard, you know, the pickings are, are slim. Yeah. Uh, a candidate who would say they want to drastically reduce the, the the legality of abortion to something like a heartbeat bill or even, you know, a 20 week bill. Right. Um, but where I do think there there is some opportunity is is returning to a language that uh, 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 rhetorical uh, position on abortion that didn't, uh, you know, frankly, celebrate it, that mm-hmm. didn't that didn't um, treat it as a as a social good, as something that was making a contribution to America, which is where, you know, on the very far left, you get some of this rhetoric. And instead of return to, uh, you know, uh, Barack Obama called abortion a, a moral tragedy, which, mm-hmm. I, which I think is, um, is, is more accurate. <laughs> and, I, and I think it, um, it, 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 it at the very least treats the issue with a, a, a level of humility and um, uh, and, and seriousness that that it requires. So you could see a return uh, to that. You could see a return to a candidate saying, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that um, that that repealing Hyde is a great idea in a country that's divided on this question. I think the last thing that we need is to inject uh, the idea that their taxpayer of uh, the dollars are going towards right. abortion. We could see that some of the candidates who I could depending on how the race plays out, you know, could take that approach. I would put Joe, you know, Vice President Biden in that. I would put um, uh, uh, Amy Klobuchar uh, uh-huh. in, in, in that. Uh, if Mitch Landrew decided to run, I'd put Mitch as up. See, someone he, who would he's the most he's that. the most intriguing candidate to me on the entire Democratic slate. He's the yeah. most intriguing candidate. I, I really. Well, of course, because Marty isn't running. Yeah, no kidding. Good grief. <laughs> <laughs> I, I i see what you did there <laughs> i mean what is he doing what, what in the world mitch mitch what are you doing i mean what i wouldn't yeah. what i wouldn't give to have a a mitch landrew john Kasich uh debate series where yeah. i mean those guys are as level as you know as is the infield at yankee stadium and i just wish we could have something that was along that line and i yeah. man i may not live to see it yeah. And, and, you know, and here's another thing. And, and I want to say this here because, you know, when I go on, when I write in the Atlantic, when I when I'm speaking on uh, podcasts with pro-choice folks, I, I challenge them to think about the pro-life uh, case. You, you know, I, I do want to say here, uh, you know, one thing that was lacking from the 2016 race and particularly Hillary Clinton's approach to this issue in the debates is that she failed um or or was unwilling to point out the fact that uh, under the previous Democratic administration, uh, the abortion rate hit an all-time low mm-hmm. since Roe v. Wade. Um, and there is evidence to suggest, it's not uncontradictable evidence. There are some people who would say, well, you know, that's really because of state laws or 
Um, you know, it's really not, you can't really, you know, draw a straight line uh, from from point A to point B. But the abortion rate also dropped during President Clinton. Um, and again, under Obama, it dropped to an all-time low. And we 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 should wrestle as pro-life people with, with, with the idea uh, that it's important to acknowledge that the abortion rate dropped. Yeah. And if, if we really care about life, then the abortion rate dropping, no matter how it drops, no matter what the circumstances are, ought to be something that we should be able to applaud and consider. And if the abortion rate rises uh, during the Trump years, even despite the SCOTUS appointments and right. even despite all you know the appearances at March for Life, then uh, and obviously I should be clear. I hope it doesn't. I hope it continues sure. to drop. Um, but but you know that has to be something on the table, uh, and it should at the very least help nuance uh, ideas that uh, 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 that that. Um, uh, and I'm not here. You know, I don't work for him anymore. I'm not here to defend uh, President Obama, but but should at least nuance ideas that he was you know, some of the far right rhetoric. Uh, he's the most pro-abortion president. Ever. Well, the most pro-abortion president ever wouldn't wouldn't preside over a major drop, historic drop right. in, uh, in abortion rate. <laughs> you're, you're really failing at being pro-abortion if the abortion rate drops when you're president. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it is a conundrum for uh, for conservatives, uh, especially religious conservatives like myself. Um, right. I mean, I don't know all of the. I think the state laws definitely play into some of it, but then there's also you know the the more democratic promotion of availability of birth control, um, where sure. you don't have as many pregnancies, and then I think there's even um, where teenagers aren't having aren't becoming sexually active as early as they had been in the past, and that that's possible a possibility for reduction in pregnancies, therefore a reduction in unwanted pregnancies, therefore a reduction in abortions. So sure. it, it does a lot, seem... of, a lot of factors, a lot of factors. Uh, you know, uh, I did a lot of work promoting adoption mm-hmm. and uh, access to adoption, uh, uh, strengthening the social safety net. Certainly if, if people feel more economically secure, that, that, that helps. Uh, and then as, as you said, you know, uh, available, uh, availability of, uh, contraception availability of uh, uh, education, uh, and then of course you know state laws that have have moved forward. So I'm not trying. It, it definitely is a complicated issue, but it you know this issue is complicated. <laughs> yeah, but but it, I mean there is a point to make that given all the complication uh, under certain party domination, the rate drops, and other you know other party domination, right. the rate rises again. So yeah, there sure. there is something in there. Uh, that's a causation, it seems to me, not merely co- correlation on every single thing that's taken place. Yeah. yeah, right. My guest today on Uncommentary has been Michael Ware, former, well, not, were you White House advisor, White House counselor? You weren't like chief of, yeah, you so weren't I, Leo, were you? No, no, I wasn't, wasn't Leo. I was in the White House Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships, and then I, I went on to run religious outreach for the president's re-elect. Excellent. Also author of uh, a book Reclaim. in print. Yeah, reclaiming reclaiming hope, lessons learned in the Obama White House about the future of faith in America, and uh, that's a Thomas Nelson book uh, that that uh, came out in 2017 and came out as a paperback with a new afterword in 2018. And you can find him a lot of different places online, but you can follow him on Twitter. It's at Michael Aware Lware. 
R Ware. R Ware. At Michael R Ware, W E A R. See, 24 more times than I would have gotten it. Yeah. 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 There are only so many. <laughs> there are only yeah. so many options. Yeah. And then your website is uh, michaelware.com, right? That's right. Awesome. Thanks, Michael, for being with me today. Great being on with you. Thanks, Marty. Thank you for listening to Uncommentary. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. When you get a chance, if you would rate and review uh, Uncommentary in your favorite podcatcher, mostly iTunes, I guess, but uh, whichever one you use, whether it's Overcast or Podbean, if they have a rating system or review system, if you would take a few moments to do that, that'd be awesome. It takes about 10 seconds to uh, to rate and about three sentences to review. Um, doesn't, doesn't take a lot. So we're over 60 on ratings and almost a 30, I think, on reviews on iTunes. If we can get to 150, respectively, that'll be awesome. Uh, if you're interested in supporting Uncommentary financially, uh, you can do a one-time gift at paypal.me slash uncommentarypod. That's paypal.me slash uncommentarypod. Uh, if you'd like to become a patron for as little as 2 bucks a month, swag level 3 bucks a month, you can do that at Patreon, patreon.com slash uncommentary. That's patreon.com slash uncommentary. Now, if you'd like to advertise, and I can always use advertisers, then email me, martyduran at yahoo.com, and I'll get you a rate sheet. You can follow me on Twitter at Marty Duran. Follow the podcast at Uncommentary Pod. And tell your friends and relatives and everyone you know to listen to Uncommentary. Till next episode, this is Marty Duran for Uncommentary. Solideo Gloria.